When will this bizarro world Yankees lineup begin to be supermen again? Yankee starters have posted a 281 ERA their last three games, yet the Yankees are one and two in those games. What needs to change? Will Aaron Boone be on the hot seat sometime soon? We continue to talk about the sluggish start of the season with the newest New York Post columnist, Ian O'Connor. Come join us next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. Chris Sheeran here with four-time World Series champion Yankees great Jeff Nelson. God, that can't get old hearing that. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Sheeran, yes, and Nelly at NYNelly43, and Instagram, of course, at Jeff.Nelson43. New episodes of the pod drop on Mondays and Thursdays. Go give us a five-star rating and write in a nice positive review on Apple Podcasts. We surely do appreciate it. You'll hear our producer, Jake Brown, pop in during the show. New York Post columnist Ian O'Connor will join us later in the show. And on Monday's show, we will be joined by the one and only, the one, the straw that stirs the drink. No, not Reggie Jackson. Daryl Strawberry, of course. And a tip of the cap to Mr. Jeff Nelson for getting that done. We appreciate that, Nelly. And we welcome in Jeff now, the four-time World Series Yankees champion. Jeff, (laughs) the more we tape this podcast, the dicier the opening of this Yankee season becomes as we tape this now on the day that they're in Cleveland to open up a four game set with Tito Francona's club. They are six and 11. And to me, you know, we keep saying we sound like a broken record. They're going to hit, they're going to hit. It's going to happen at some point. I don't know when I don't have a crystal ball, but to me, Nelly, it appears the way this team is listless in the lineup. The pitching has been a little bit better on the starting side, but shades of 2016 are starting to creep into my head when they started eight and 16 finished with 84 wins and missed the playoffs for one dale strawberry is one of my favorite teammates all time and it'll be a fun fun chat with him on monday yeah that'll be good but it's like groundhog day it's like bill murray stepping in the pothole the wet wet pothole every single day until they learn i mean this is what the yankees are going through every single day you get tired of watching it i guess it bugs me when it when you have a talented team like the new york yankees and they go out on the field like they're a high school team as far as the mentality not the way they playing but just the mentality it just doesn't seem like there's any fight no heart i mean it's like almost nelly it's like they they walk on the field and expect to win because of the uniform they're wearing but it doesn't work that way no i mean there's a lot of expectations that go into being a yankee i hated playing the yankees you know i i just had a dislike for them when i was in the minor leagues even when i was in the big leagues i got up playing with the yankees baltimore too you know right i mean and yes exactly so i was an oriole fan and i didn't like the yankees then either but I had the mentality that I wanted to beat these guys at all at all cost, you know, because for one, and it was taught in the minor league system, and you could see around. I played against them when Buck Showalter was the manager in Albany, and they had 
an all-star team. Half the team went to the big leagues. And I think there was an A-ball team when I was in Peninsula. I think they had an A-ball team in the uh, Carolina League. And the mentality was all about we take the field and expect to win every single game. And it was taught from every level. It was almost like, okay, now we don't have to teach it in the big leagues because we taught that in rookie ball, that every time you put on the Yankee uniform and you have New York or the Yankees across your chest, whether it's a pinstripes or some bootleg minor league uni that you get to put on, (laughs) your attitude was the same. It was win. It was win. You take the field, and and if you lost, you, you should be shocked. And it was brought up, and nobody had to teach that. I mean, Tory didn't have to teach that. Steinbrenner, Mr. Steinbrenner expected that at all at all costs. And I just don't see that now. And, and it, it's, you know, the expectation level should be there because once you put the pinstripes on, you're a Yankee. You should go out on the field and dominate. The front office puts together a team that should be able to dominate every single game. You're not going to win every game, but you should be able to go out and say, you know what, we lost, that's a shock. We're going to go out and kick your butt tomorrow. It's not that way right now, the start of the season. And I don't care if it's early or whatever. I would still like to see the fight. I would see. I would still like to see the expectation level that they go out on the field and expect to win. Even LeMahieu, I mean, LeMahieu is one of the best hitters in the game. He walks out like he's kicking his dog every once in a while, like he lost, his dog ran away. It, maybe it's just carrying through the lineup, and, and it's just it's tough to watch. It's tough to see. I wish it was different because his team is so talented. That's a fair point. It's kind of like a tr- trickle-down effect from DJ LeMahieu to the rest of the lineup. And when he's not right, it affects everything. Just if he, This would be the Yankee lineup in my eyes if DJ LeMahieu was injured. It would be kind of listless because they don't have that leader who leads off and, and sets the table for everybody else. But the reason why I bring up 2016, there's a method to my madness here. And believe me, if you guys listen to this podcast, and I know Jake and Nelly know this, and so does Brian Mungia as well, they know that uh, I have a madness to me when it comes to the Yankees and this podcast. But I bring up 16 because it kind of eerily has the same kind of feel. And the Yankees, you expect them every year, as as Nelly said, to be in the mix for the playoffs. 2016 was no different. They got off to that slow start. Let's not forget. That's when Gary Sanchez came up and hit 20 home runs in 53 games. They kept themselves in the wild card hunt until the very last weeks of the season, even then with with CeCe having a down year. Nathan Avaldi, Ivan Nova, they were just a little over 500. Th- this happens in baseball. Guys have down years, but even in those down years for those guys in the rotation, the 2016 Yankees almost made the playoffs, and they shouldn't even scratch the playoffs that year with 84 wins, but they kept themselves in it till the very end. In 2017, who the hell thought the Yankees would be in Game 7 in Houston? It was supposed to be a rebuild. It was supposed to be a reset button in 2017. Yeah, you'd think they they make the playoffs but not make a run like they did that's why i'm having these thoughts nelly of 2016 with this team because it does happen guys do have down years guys have career years and propel teams into the postseason into world series victories look at what the nationals did after their 42 game start in 2019 then they're world series champions i'll be a yankee fan right now it's not acceptable for any yankee to have a down year <laughs> you know you know they, they put this team together and they go out and sign cole it does happen yes it does happen but you go out and sign cole and you're thinking i'm thinking okay the first year you have him this is the 
probably the best year you have to win the World Series. And all of a sudden, the pandemic happened. And then because you know you're going to lose Tanaka, you know you were going to lose Paxton. And what was your, you didn't have Severino, what was your starting rotation going to look like? And, uh, you know, I think fortunately enough for the Yankees that the American League is not that tough this year. They, They really don't have one of those dominant teams that maybe the Yankees have to worry about. You know, if they can pull their heads out of their ass and win and, you know, start playing like the New York Yankees, I, I don't really don't see a team that should give them a whole lot of trouble or, or keep them out of the playoffs I, because I don't see the American League being that strong this year. Now, 2016, you had a lot of strong teams in the American League. And if you're going to have down years, probably not going to make up for it and they could make up for it. They'll probably be able to make up for this. I mean, there's a lot of uh, mentality they have to change. You know, the mentality part. And here's a, here's a question. Do you think they're prepared leaving spring? When they go to spring training and you have six weeks as a starter and then the position players come in and you have four or five weeks. I know now differently. I mean, some teams might do a better job of preparing their starters for the se- season, the opening day. But I don't see that with the Yankees. The Yankees, they, what, three-fifths or four-fifths of their starters. You know, even Cole never reached 100 pitches in spring training. I mean, you're talking about 70, 75 pitches, and then you're killing your bullpen early. I mean, that's not preparing your starters for me. I I mean, I don't know what the reasoning is. I have no idea. Hitting-wise, I know you didn't have B games. I know you didn't have the minor league games that guys could usually go over and get some game situation instead of doing it on the backfield. Are they prepared to start the season? Is that showing the first 15, 16 games that they really haven't been prepared leaving spring training? Is that a question? That's a fair point. I think that is a fair question. And that was where I was going to go next, because what we saw that Jamison Tyone in that first game against the Braves, in my eyes, is exactly what he needed and exactly what the Yankees needed to see. That, Nelly, it was talked about on the Yes Network pregame show. Jack Curry brought it up. He didn't have that pitch to get batters out. He didn't have that out pitch, and he did have that against the Braves. And you got to remember, he's coming back from his second Tommy John. He's been through hell and back in his life. He's rebuilding. And I always said he he gets a pass. And that's something the Yankees needed to see, and that's something positive. If you could hook him up to Garrett Cole and Jordan Montgomery – Yes, those three, along with the lineup coming around, can turn this thing around for the Yankees. However, Corey Kluber pitching the way he's pitching, that's going to be a big time question mark for this Yankee team. And he spent $11 million on the guy. You know, I... I... I, I'm totally on board with Tyone, and, and and if he can build up his arm strength and, and use April as almost his second spring training, and then and he should be right now the best fifth starter in the game, you, you know, and that's the way you should probably treat him right now, even though he's not a fifth starter as far as stuff wise, but because he's had the two Tommy Johns, you treat him as a fifth starter. The guys in between Cole, I mean, even Montgomery, yes, Montgomery, he's pitched past five innings, you know two out of the three starts so far. I mean, he's gotten, you know, he hasn't done, his first start was really good, but the last two starts were mediocre. They weren't great. Uh, I mean, maybe you're not looking great every single time, but you would like to see a little bit more consistency. Herman, who's getting a start, you know, he hasn't even, he's pitched, what, seven innings in his two starts after having a lights-out spring training. Kluber is, is a concern to me. So I just don't get why, and it seems to me that the Yankees are using April 
to as a spring training. We're going to use April to start building our building our pitching staff, you know, building our hitting. But I don't see I don't see a lot of teams doing it. I mean, you look at the Oakland A's. I mean, they lost the first six games and all of a sudden they've rolled off 11 in a row. And I, if it's weather, it's the weather stinks in Oakland almost all the time. I mean, there's never really a great day in Oakland to play. Yeah, I don't I don't want to hear about the weather anymore. And that's that's in your head, and it's in your head. I mean, everybody has to play through it, and I understand. You know, I don't understand how p- position players sit there when it's freezing cold, and they got the masks on, and how they even move when they're freezing out in the field. But everybody goes through it, and it's all mentality. It's a mental strength that you have to have when you play the sport in April, maybe May, out in Oakland all the time. And and uh, you know, if you get to October, you're going to play in cold cold cities then. That's was May through September, guys. It's, it's going to warm up, and I, I do think April, this just sometimes happens to teams. I mean, the Mets last night had a defensive bad news Bears experience. And on that topic, guys, we might not be in the office and in the studio till Labor Day. It certainly won't be gl- happy Labor Day because just a lack of effort on Wednesday night, not running to first base on the ball in the dirt. His defense has sucked. Uh, you want to talk about the pitching being bad. Maybe Glaber Torres isn't as good as everyone thought he was. Well, you need to send a message is what you need to do. And and if you're not sending a message, you're not teaching anybody anything. And that's one of the respects that a manager gets. And I don't care how nice Aaron Boone is and how well communicating he is with his players. You, you got to send a message at some point. I, okay, if he got fired up after a loss on Friday and he started yelling at the players, great. They did, really didn't. I mean, usually... The old saying is that once you have a meeting and, and the manager blows up, you're going to lose the next day anyway. But it still motivates you. And they haven't been motivated. And obviously that meeting that they had didn't help Glaber Torres because he dogs it down the line. So you send a message, you take him out. And you should have taken him out right there or sit him to, tonight. I mean, you just say, you know what? This is not acceptable. I mean, he is one of the brightest stars in the game and he's not he's not playing like it well there's another writer out there who i saw a tweet this morning that another new york writer i should say who said uh maybe the yankees should option glaber torres and let him know that it's not a birthright to to play for the pinstripes uh you know that where you go out there every night and do what he did and not leg one out i i don't think they have to go that far i'm in your camp nelly though i think uh he needs to grab some bench and, and think about that and to me look I didn't play at a high level, but Nelly, you were around a bunch of guys who did. You were around Derek Jeter a whole hell of a lot. It didn't matter the situation in the game. It didn't matter what was going on with him individually. He ran everything out. And I know everybody doesn't do that, but you know what? Especially when you're struggling, you would expect just, you know, expect when you put the ball in play, something positive could happen. They could throw it away. When you jog to first base, when you're scuttling, and your team is listless, it's bad optics, it's a bad look, and and fans don't want to see that. They already see the putridness of your team that that can't get out of its own way at 6-11 and right now. They don't need to see you lollygagging it down the line. I mean, I brought up the 8-16 and start from 2016. Now I'm bringing up lollygagging. It's like it's Bull Durham, for Christ's sake. The manager in Bull Durham, you lollygagging in and out of the dugout. You lollygag your way down to first base. Yeah, yeah. You lollygag. <laughs> what does that make you, Larry? Lollygaggers. I mean, come on. You're the New York Yankees. Listen to a four-time World Series champion. 
with the Yankees. He's on this freaking podcast. Even he's saying it. I'm not crazy, people. You got a guy with four rings here telling you two. And the thing of it is, is I mean, if they were a mediocre team, then you just, okay, this is just the way things are going to be the whole year. I still think they're the best team in the American League. Maybe they'll wind up playing like it at some point. But, you know, men- mentality, the way they go out on the field, you don't see it. And obviously that carries into their at-bats. It carries themselves, in, you know, on the mound. Everybody, you start looking. We didn't have a whole lot of meetings when we had Joe Torre, you know, occasion. And if he didn't like the play of someone, whether they dogged it out or did whatever, we very rarely ever had that. He would call you in the office and he would quietly not let anybody know and do it, and especially the media, because old Yankee Stadium, the locker rooms were so small that he would just give it to you in his office. I mean, I had it on occasion, you know, question what was I throwing, what was I doing, and you stand up for yourself or you, you, you listen to him, you respect him as a manager, and then you go and you go about your business. But we had leaders, we had team, we had guys, we had 25 guys that, you know, I expected my locker mate to show up today and, and do his job and do his part to help win. Everybody followed the lead of Derek Jeter. I mean, this guy played 100% all the time. And once he crossed that line, he expected to win all the time. So that, that carried over throughout everyone. And everyone had the same mentality. Who's the leader on this team? Who's the guy that goes in between lines? It can't be Brett Gardner because he's a bench player. He's a part-time player. You can't lead when you're on the bench. Is it an Aaron Judge? Somebody's got to stay on the field 150 games to lead. And I don't think it'd be a pitcher. We had David Cohn, but he was so good with the media. He was like, everybody just went to him and got quotes because he was like our politician. Go ahead, go. You know, you do it because nobody else has to answer all these BS questions that these guys had to ask us. What about, can you can you expound, since you brought up Coney, I, I want to ask you this because he brought it up during the broadcast the other night. After you guys got swept in those first two games in 1996, he came in the dugout and said you were getting embarrassed. Can you expound on that discussion? I mean, he he, he didn't like to think he was he would be the vocal one, but he, he kind of relished in it. Do you remember that at all, Nelly? Yeah, you know, it, it was, you know, we... We had a week off before the World Series started, so we were really stale and rusty going into those first two games. And, you know, we're playing a Braves team that three of the starters are Hall of Famers. I mean, I, I, that was, this was a time where they didn't have interleague play, and this was the first time that we saw the Braves besides TV, which I absolutely love and hope they, they would scrap interleague play. I can't stand it. it it's just uh, ridiculous now. I hate the schedule. They should go back to a balanced schedule and everybody play each other the same amount of times. But yeah, I mean, we were embarrassed and all of a sudden, you know, you had the Atlanta media writing, oh, you know, give us another American League team. We're walking all over the Yankees. You had Mr. Steinbrenner that was all over Joe Torre. Oh, you, we're going to get swept here, you, you know, and, and Joe quietly said, hey, don't worry about it. You, you know, we're going to win the next four. And, and we did win the next four. But Coney, I mean, Coney was one of those guys that, you know, he he spoke up. I mean, obviously the things that he did, I used to watch him when I wasn't on his team. I mean, he was one of the guys that I used to try to emulate off of. I would watch him when he was with Kansas City and Toronto. So, you know, I, I used to watch him, Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens. That's how I learned how to pitch. I was a visual guy. I want to be like this. I want to I want to intimidate guys like this guy, these guys. And, you know, he was a vocal guy in our clubhouse. But we had we had him. We had Posada that would say things every once in a while. You, you know, we just had guys that led by example. And Coney was a guy that could back it up. I mean, you had guys that stayed on the field. I mean, your leader needs to stay on the field. Your leader needs to be an everyday player. David Cohn 
he was so good with the media that we didn't have to worry about getting bombarded all the time. And, and he just took the hit all the time. And he, I guess he loved it. You know, I always thought he was going to be a politician way before a broadcaster, <laughs> you know, I said, this guy's perfect for the Senate or maybe run for president one of these days. But you know, he probably had too many skeletons in the closet. That probably wouldn't have worked out. <laughs> Keep comparing these teams with all the teams that won, but why, why wouldn't you? I mean, there's 20, what, 27 world championships that, that these guys should be compared to, and they're that good. That, that's the shame of it. I mean, we're complaining because they're that good. That's why they're being compared. It's because they're that good. And over these next 11 games, it's the time to get fat. And I'm telling you right now, I'm not taking anything less than nine and two over these next 11 games, four against Cleveland, four against Baltimore, three against Detroit. Baltimore is 14th in team ERA. Detroit is dead freaking last. Cleveland is going to be tough. You got to face Shane Bieber. Uh, That's going to be a great pitching matchup on Saturday between Cole and Bieber. They got four against the Indians this weekend. Let's not rush the bit. Let's just get through this Indian series. And we're going to talk about all of this and much more next here on the Pinstripe Pod with the New York Post's newest columnist. He's a familiar face though, Ian O'Connor. Joining us now, the newest member of the New York Post sports team, Ian O'Connor. You could follow him at Ian underscore O'Connor. You could order his book on Amazon, Belichick, the making of the greatest football coach of all time, as well as the captain, the journey of Derek Jeter. And coming in February, Coach K, the rise and reign of Mike Krzyzewski. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much, guys. Good to be here. Ian, I want to start with your column that you wrote after the Yankees were swept by the Rays at Yankee Stadium. You you made an analogy with Aaron Boone not being a football coach. We all know from week to week in the NFL, you could go in there, throw some chairs, and get your guys going for the next week to run through a brick wall. It's not the same in baseball. Agreed with you 100%. But Aaron Boone does have to start pressing some buttons here, no? Oh, no question about it. And I think you can go back to really the reason why he was hired in the first place. Joe Girardi gets fired after going to a Game 7 of the ALCS. The reason being that Brian Cashman and others in the organization didn't feel like he had a, a good connection with the younger players. And they thought Aaron Boone, from a human relations standpoint, was the better guy. So a guy who would relate better to younger players would handle the media in New York better. And I think to some degree, he's done all of that. But at the end of the day, he's the leader of that group. And particularly in that game, to to get swept by the Rays uh, on Sunday, to see the way they played defensively in the outfield, and just to allow that team to come into your building and do that to you, when you're kicking the ball around in the outfield and throwing the ball to the wrong base, that's on the manager. Uh, you're, You're clearly not ready to compete at the highest level. And I thought that game really said a lot about where they were under Aaron Boone, at least Obviously, it's very early, but at some point, when is it not early? In mid-May, are we going to be saying, well, it's it's still only mid-May, and so you're looking at a team now that's 6-11, and 11, and I guess the good news is they're only about three and a half games out of the wild card <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, with about, I don't know, 10 teams to hurdle. But last year, this wouldn't have been a problem, right, when everybody made the playoffs. Well, guess what? We're back to the old playoff format of five teams from each league making it. So at some point here, this will get – to a situation where it is urgent. And Aaron Boone right now is is not doing a great job leading 
that group and connecting with his team. And that has to change. Well, you know, here, here's the thing, because Joe Girardi, I mean, I played with both of them. And Joe Girardi was a very fiery guy. He was a very fiery manager. I mean, you know, a manager of the year here in Miami. And all of a sudden, the next year, he, he leaves because he butted heads with the owner. And, you know, maybe the same case when he was with the Yankees, maybe a little bit too fiery. And that's why one of the reasons he didn't get along with some of the younger players. For me, and you probably would see it a lot easier because you've been in a lot of locker rooms. I haven't been in locker rooms recently or since maybe 06. I don't even like going in there. But the mentality of the player has changed. I mean, for me, can they take a guy, can they take an Aaron Boone, which I don't think he's that type of manager to just start throwing, not, I mean, not throwing things, but have that have that energy or have that aggressiveness and, and blow up in a locker room and try to fire these guys up. I don't know if he's that guy. Plus, I don't even know if the players can handle that type of interaction with a manager. I, I think they're very sensitive now, and, and I, don't, I don't know if, they, if the mentality is the same as it used to be. Well, it's obviously, uh, Jeff, a different generation. Uh, as you know, but I, I, Aaron Boone did try to do that Friday night where he got loud in the in the clubhouse with his players. And it's about as angry as they've seen him get uh, relative to other managers, maybe from a, an older school generation. It probably wasn't that severe, but it was a reaction from Aaron Boone that they're not used to seeing. And it didn't really work. I was there on Tuesday night when the Yankees beat the Braves. And certainly, Jeff, you were part of those teams in the 90s that always beat the Braves when it mattered. And in those tight tense games it always seemed to me like you guys put pressure on the Braves and they they would sort of crack a little bit and that happened Tuesday night with the wild pitch the walk in the eighth inning Yankees win that game 3-1 I actually felt like in that game they they showed a little mental toughness like those 90s teams and then and then last night kind of gave it right back away and Glaber Torres doesn't run out of ground ball and you're trying to grind and get started and build on that one win and they gave it right back so to me that was another bad sign that you couldn't take the momentum of finally getting a win against a, a pretty good team. And and not only do you lose, but you have one of your better players not running hard to first base. And, and to me, that was troubling to see. Yeah, to steal from Dickens here, Ian, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times in the two-game series against the Atlanta Braves. Uh, and you saw what you needed to see out of Jamison Tyone. He continued to go forward, but as Nelly and I have talked about since the season began, to us, I mean, not to Corey Kluber, but to us, it seems like he goes backwards every time he goes to the mound, and that definitely has to change. I kind of talked about how this is kind of like 2016, Ian, where CC Sabathia had a down year, Michael Pineda had a down year. It does happen in baseball. Now, look, it is early, as we said, but it starts with the starters, and, and Corey Kluber, he doesn't have to be 2017 Cy Young Corey Kluber, but he's got to be a better version of himself right now. I think, Chris, you're right about that. There's no question. This can't be Garrett Cole and pray for rain all season. <laughs> so I, I think Kluber, if I'm not mistaken, last night, that's the, the deepest he's gone in a game in about two years. Just yeah. yeah, four and two thirds. Right. And I think the last time he went longer than that was May 1st of, of 19. Tayon, I thought, looked pretty good. And Kluber was, was okay. And they're going to need more than that from those guys going forward, no question about it. It's interesting to me that you ask the question of when is it not early anymore? I remember uh, you go back to the 1965 Yankees, right? Uh, during that uh, early part of the season, I'm sure they kept saying, well, it's early, it's early, it's early. And at some point, it wasn't early anymore. And it was clear the dynasty was over. The the time of winning 100 or 95 plus games every year uh, with that Yankee team 
it just abruptly ended in 65 and they went the other way for a dark period in franchise history. I'm not saying that's going to happen this year. When you look at this team on paper, you, you say this is definitely a playoff team and a team that should contend for, for a World Series championship. But I had a conversation with Paul O'Neill about a couple of weeks ago where he said, listen, there are only certain amount of seasons or years where you could say we're the best team on paper without winning a championship before you can't say that anymore. You're not the best team on paper because you're not delivering on the field. And I think the Yankees at some point here will will reach that point. Uh, there's plenty of time to get this thing straightened out. I just think, again, without the extra playoff spots, it's going to be a more difficult proposition. We've had a lot of uh, players that I played with on the podcast and always the common denominator and something that I haven't seen. And I know it's early and, and we could at the maybe in August start laughing about, you know, these early podcasts and the early panic buttons that we're pushing here as far as the Yankees' slow start. But mentality, and, and when I watched this team take the field, you know, I, I expected, I probably expected them to be maybe just a little bit under the Dodgers as far as them breaking camp and being the best team in the American League. I watched the Dodgers, and I watched them take the field, and they take the field that, you know what, if you beat us, it's a surprise to us. We expect to win every single game. And a lot of the players, the common denominator that we have on our podcast is we expected to win every single day. And if we didn't win, it was a surprise. And we went out the next day and we made sure we won. And I don't see that from this team. I watched this team take the field and it started on opening day. They don't have that expectation of, hey, you know what? We are the best team on the field. We are going to win this game. I don't see the fight. I don't see the heart. I don't see that desire to win every single game. I see more of oh no, what's going to go wrong now? Or just like Glaber, not running out of ball yesterday. It's just, and then playing like the Bad News Bears on Friday against the Rays when this last home series. It just doesn't seem like the fire. I think that's more alarming to me than their slow start. Well, I would say you're 98 team. Uh, I've been doing this for 35 years. Other than the, the Michael Jordan Bulls, and I was around that team quite a bit when they were playing the Knicks in the playoffs in the 90s on a somewhat regular basis. Uh, outside of that, I've never seen a team take a field take the field in any sport uh, that had more an expectation of winning than the 98 Yankees. You could say that maybe about the 90s dynasty just in general going through the 2000 and 2001 World Series. Th- this current Yankee team, right, it, it seems like they hope to win. They don't expect to win. That's a big difference. It's easy to say a team looks lifeless when they're not hitting, but this Yankee team looks lifeless. And again, that that does go back to the manager and having to find a button to push that will change that. I, I look at, I don't want to pick on, constantly pick on Glaber Torres, but he is one of the most talented offensive players they have. And, and the guy who's already been in, what, two all-star games. And I looked at like Tuesday night, the game they won against the Braves. And in the, I believe it was the fourth inning, Judge and Stanton both grinded out walks against a very good pitcher in, in Morton. And, and Torres is up, and there's one out, two on. Your two big sluggers just worked their way on the base. It's a great opportunity. Just do something here. Honor that. Honor their bats. And he did nothing. He, he grounded out to uh, shorten the fielder's choice. And, and, then, and then last night, he did get a hit, but not running out that ball. At, at this stage, given what the Yankees are going through, is, is, is not unforgivable, but close enough to it. So you need players to just start picking up the intensity and acting like these games matter more than your average mid to late April game should matter. I get laser focused on their at-bats. The more the offense look listless, the more I look at the at-bats more intensely. And it just seems like Buck Showalter said it the best on the Yes pregame show before the second game against the Braves. He, he basically said, just keep it simple. You don't have to get a grand slam 
in the first inning. I'm just paraphrasing what he said. Go at bat to at bat, pitch to pitch, grind the grind these pitchers down. And it's and this is something that those '90s Yankees teams with Nelly involved always did. I remember watching those games vividly and my friends and I just couldn't wait for the other team's bullpen to come in because it was pretty much like the circus was in town. The Yankees would grind out at bats against the starting pitching and then just feast on the bullpen. And and it seems to me like that's the way this offense could break out. But everyone, you have Gio Urshela and DJ LeMahieu in my eyes, and Nellie and I have talked about this. Those guys are hitters. They'll take, you know, they'll take what the pitcher gives them. They go the other way. Everyone else is the same guy swinging from their rear end and trying to hit eight run homers when right now, when you're listless, all you want to do is go station to station. Yeah, Chris. And I think I'm sure the, these current Yankees get tired of being constantly compared to the dynastic Yankees of the nineties, but too bad (laughs) when you wear the pinstripes, that's the way it is. You're always going to be measured by the team against the teams that won championships. And it's that way with the Boston Celtics, the Lakers, and I'm doing this book now on Coach K. It's it's that way with the the Duke basketball dynasty, the players that were there who were great players and didn't win rings. They're not looked at the same way as those who won the five championships for Coach K. That's just when you play for the Yankees, those are the terms of engagement. And and so yeah, I, I look at Stanton, for instance, he's got 21 strikeouts. It feels like 41 to me, frankly. Yeah. I think Judge has had some good at bats recently, decent at bats. And and you're right though, when you look at that lineup. And you look at the names, it's staggering to then look at the stats. The Yankees are at the bottom of baseball, not just the American League, and so many offensive that they outputs. usually that they usually destroy other teams in. That's right. And they they and, and Jeff certainly knows this better than we do because he was right in the middle of right, it. But right. we're wearing out the other team's bullpen in those playoff series and whether it was the Braves or whoever. Uh that that was such a hallmark of those championship teams under Joe Torrey and then in 09 under under Girardi. So they have to start doing that. Swinging for the fences, to me, uh, situational hitting is so lacking right now with this group, and, and that needs to be part of their, their march going forward. Then how do you change? How do you, how do you change a team, a concept, or, or you know, you mentioned LeMahieu, who hits to all fields, and if you pitch him away, he'll go to right field. He'll pull the ball and hitters counts. Or, or Shell is the same way. You know, maybe Gardner is the same way as well, but he's not an everyday player anymore. How do you change the mentality or how do you change the approach where Stanton, Judge, I mean, look at Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks swings whether it's 0-2 or 3-0. He's swinging the same way. How do you change that? How do you change that mentality? Because you talk about the sensitivity of players now the way it wasn't that way when we played. And, I mean, you can take our team, the Braves team, any team back in the 90s and the early 2000s where, you know, they were tough. It was tough to pitch. It was tough to pitch to guys when certain guys in 02. They still went to all fields. You didn't see the shifts that you did that you see now. How do you change that? How do you go and say, Aaron, you got to go the other way or you got to cut your swing down? Stanton, don't try to hit it five. 500 feet every single at bat. I mean, how do you change that? Well, I, that's a very good question, Jeff. And I think it starts with conversations with your hitting coach, Marcus Timms. And, and I think the conversations then with the players involved and the home run is always going to be part, a big part of the Yankee offensive attack. They're called the Bronx bombers for a reason. So I don't think 
it's going to be taken away, but it needs to be modified. That's all. And I think adjustments, when you're a professional athlete, they have to be made all the time, in season, in game. And I think here, it just, hey, we're just looking now to hit the ball in the middle of the field or going the opposite way with it. Don't try to pull outside pitches. Go with the pitch. And these are pretty fundamental concepts that hitters have been taught since uh, Little League. And, and I think the Yankees just need to go back to – fundamental hitting and and it really is just conversation common sense being applied looking at tape and saying let's go up the middle let's go to the opposite field and then the home runs will come I mean Judge and Stanton are so strong when they're going the other way particularly in Yankee Stadium there's a good chance the ball is going to leave the yard anyway so I, I think it's simple it's it's much easier said than done I, I realize that but it's something that has to be done if the Yankees want to start winning some games yeah, I completely agree. It's not anything about anything other than approach. They they have to change their approach at the plate. And like you said, Ian, when you change your approach, the home runs will come. You know, you start taking it back up the middle. You start taking the ball the opposite way. Like the Yankees have been for the past four or five years. That's why this offense has been able to produce the numbers it has produced over the years. And that's why Nelly and I still seem to say every week, we sound like a broken record. They're going to hit. Yeah, they're going to hit. But when? Fans want to know when that's going to happen. So let me let me throw this at you because I hear this from time to time and it drives me nuts. It's cold and the Yankees bats are normally cold. They normally start out like this. And when the weather starts to heat up, they get better. But here's my uh, devil's advocate to that, Ian. What's the temperature like? What's the weather like in October? It's kind of the same that it is now. So it, it, this is like a precursor to playoff baseball. So if you're going to do what you did in Cleveland last year in, in those temperatures, I expect that in April in these temperatures. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't think it's as simple as the weather right now. It's it's obvious to me approach is more important than than the weather. And frankly, the weather hasn't been that terrible either. But what the Yankees need right now is just a, a lot of games against the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> I've heard that. It's funny. I've heard that from fans. Where are the Orioles? We need them. Well, of course, they're coming up now uh, pretty quickly here after the, the Cleveland trip. But it, it yeah, I, I think approach right now is is something that is is everything for the Yankees at the plate offensively to be at the very bottom of the league when you're looking at slugging percentage OPS runs I they're not in the top 20 in any significant offensive category in baseball and and they're at the very bottom in a few of them and and it's really hard to believe so at what point does it become a question of Aaron Boone's effectiveness I don't think there's any chance really that unless this thing gets completely away from Boone that he, he will be in danger of being fired this year. I don't think that Brian Cashman wants any part of that. It would have to get really ugly. But the possibility of it getting really ugly is still there. And so I think they need to to right the ship and, and change their offensive approach. I don't think it's asking uh, for too much to ask guys who swing for the fences to try to modify that style just a little bit to help the team. And, and I think that's where they are. Now, just real quick, Ian, on the starting rotation, you know, you have Cole and you said you hope it's not Cole and pray for rain. You know, what, where, what do you think your outlook is for the rest of the season? I mean, you, you spend $11 million on Kluber. He can't even get past five innings. I don't know if he'll ever get past five innings. He just, to me, too cutter happy. And he's just obviously not the same that he used to be in Cleveland, I don't think anybody expected that. Tyone maybe might be making some progress. Herman's throwing on Thursday or throwing it tonight. 
So he's back in Montgomery. You have two pitchers out of the five that have got actually gotten past five innings. And, you know, I know that's early as well. They don't leave spring training like they used to. You know, it's 75, 80 pitches now. So obviously that five innings is a little bit of an ask. But going forward, where do you see this rotation? I think I think Tyone is going to be a very important Yankee for, for the rest of the season. It's interesting when you go back and look at the way he was looked at coming out of high school as a young pitcher. People were comparing him to Josh Beckett and a little bit of Roger Clemens thrown in there because he was a big kid from Texas and, and Strasburg. And he's got a lot of ability. And so I, I think he's going to be very significant. Severino coming back will be huge if, if he is gets back to form soon rather than later in the summer and, and and frankly offensively Luke Voigt has proven to be so almost invaluable just getting him back in in a few weeks I think will also help this team quite a bit so they're going to have plenty of opportunities to, to get right back in the thick of things but that's a lot of ifs and and we'll just have to see how it plays out going forward Ian it's Jake here let's switch gears first off welcome to the New York Post now before before I ask my question, is that a Kendrick Lamar album in your background? Uh, I believe it is. That I'm in. I had to move for sound reasons, and I'm in my son's old bedroom. So I, I, he's a <laughs> Kendrick Lamar guy, and so I'll, I'll give him the credit for that. I was going to say, is Ian going to start spitting "Be Humble" <laughs> sit down? Okay. And I would have been shocked. I would have said this is the greatest colleague of all time. You're safe on that front. I hope we're not working you too hard. It is pretty incredible, though, your trips around the New York Sun. I mean, from the Daily News, the Record, uh, ESPN Radio New York, I remember listening to you two on, and now you're at the Post. I mean, is this like you're, you're making all your stops? Was the Post the last New York writing outlet to be on the bucket list or something yeah it was really i i actually worked at the new york times uh, the daily news i had a job offer at newsday i didn't take it and so yeah i've been in a lot of different places and the post i talked to the new york post for the first time in 1994 i believe about working there. And I've had a couple of conversations over the years at different times. And the Post has certainly, if not the greatest sports section in America, one of the top two or three. And and some of the people who I've always wanted to be teammates with, it's sort of like uh, Jeff with the 90s Yankees, really. I feel like I joined that kind of dynastic team when you look at the talent on the roster. And I've always wanted to be teammates with some of these people, whether it's Mike Vaccaro, Joel Sherman, and, and many others. So it, it's really, uh, it's a great opportunity for me. And you got great hosts and you got the pod father here. I mean, you just got a great team all around uh, across the board. Those days on ESPN Radio were fun, man. I think, what were you on? You were on the weekend mornings, I remember hearing you. Sunday morning. Yeah, and it was particularly good during the the NFL season when you you were sort of starting ESPN's programming on an NFL Sunday. Those those were good times. I I really did enjoy that. Had a lot of opportunities at ESPN over close to 11 years. No, this is a new adventure for me, really. And going to the post, the reaction, even on Twitter, it's hard to get a positive reaction on Twitter above 50%. You think? Like 98 Really, it was like 98, 99% positive, the reaction to to go in there, because I think people realize just how great that sports section is. Welcome aboard, and, and we're glad to have you here on the Pinstripe Pod uh, this season. What Steve Pierce was to the American League East, Ian O'Connor is to the New York uh, sports <laughs> scene. And, and he was an MVP in the World Series, if, if, I, if memory serves. So uh, that is a big-time compliment. And, I never uh, thought we would get a Steve Pierce. No, I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Ian, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Once again, you could follow Ian on Twitter. It's at Ian underscore O'Connor, and you can read his stories in the post and at nypost.com and look forward to that new book, Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. Thanks a lot for the time. We appreciate it, buddy. Thanks so much, guys. My pleasure. That says goodnight to episode 46, the Andrew Eugene Pettit edition of the Pinstripe Pod. Our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Is Andy available? Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for three for producing the show. Give Pinstripe Pod a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate the support. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We return on Monday following the Yankees' four-game set in Cleveland and we'll be joined by the great Daryl Strawberry. Enjoy the games and your weekend, and thanks for listening.